you would please turn your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 17. I'd like for us to begin in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commends, commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Imagine if you were a worshiper of many gods and find out that you know there may still be a God that we do not know. Encounter someone that is willing to proclaim him to you. Would you stand up and take notice? Would you pay attention? Would you hear, is this God just like all the other so-called gods? Or is there something different about him? Is he more important? And if I began to learn more about him, what would that cause me to do? Well, you can imagine the calling that Paul had when he was talking to those in Athens. Think about those that are Greeks you know they are known to worship many gods for many things. And he knew that he had an obligation to let them know the one true God. As Paul was writing to those in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, he said that the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
Paul was going to try to impart the wisdom of God that is wiser than the wisdom of men. You see, there are a lot of things that the Greeks did not know. And as Paul summed it up in verse 33, he saw the inscription to the unknown God. Well, just as the Greeks needed to know God, and Paul begins to help him with that, perhaps we need to know God better. Who is God? Well, how did Paul begin telling them? In verse 24, he said, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. You can only imagine the number of temples that have been built. Perhaps one for the sun god, one for the moon god, and on and on and on the list could go. He created the sun. He created the moon. He created everything as the book of Genesis reveals to us. It begins by saying in the very first chapter, in the very first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he begins to expound upon that, telling us what was made and on what day. He even tells us that on the sixth day, God created man. Remember the words of the psalmist? In Psalm 100 and verse 3, when he gives credit to God, it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. It's not through the wisdom of men. In fact, that is just foolishness with God. But you know, there is one man that helped. One man that was in the beginning with God and was God, as John says. That was Jesus Christ. And as John begins to reveal him to us, in chapter 1 and in verse 3, he says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Without him, there was nothing made that was made. Paul said it this way to those in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 16, he says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. Jesus was in the beginning with God and was God. Everything was created through him and for him. And as Jesus begins to reveal himself to mankind by the pure words that he spoke 
by the things which he as the Son of God only can do that no one else could do? Does he give the credit to himself? Or rather, does he give credit to wealth? As Paul says here in Acts chapter 17 and in verse 24, he says, God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. You find a phrase very similar used by Jesus in the gospel of Matthew chapter 11. There and in verse 25, as he was answering to those that were asking questions of him. He answered as he prayed to his father, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them unto babes. Jesus calls his father Lord of heaven and earth. After all, it makes sense that he was the one that created the heavens and the earth. The one that defined it, as Paul would go on to say to those in Athens. He says in verse 26 that he is made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell in all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Who you are. Where you are, even when you are, God has determined that. You know, sometimes we hear people saying, well, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time when certain things happened. But when you look at it from God's perspective, you might see it a little bit differently. God has you right where he wants you. And he alone can determine where we're going to go and what we're going to do. The children of Israel had a great history of that. When you look back to the book of Deuteronomy, there in chapter 32, and read the song that comes from Moses, especially in verse 8, he says, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Remember as God was going to give the Israelites a land of promise and to inherit that land, God determined where the boundary was going to be. He knew where every tribe was going to abide. And he also had the power to take care of them. He also had the power to destroy them. You know, Job recognized that very power. In Job chapter 12 and in verse 23, Job said, He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. The children of Israel went through a period of judges. 
And they went through a period of kings, even after the leadership of Moses. And you'll recall that as long as the people were faithful unto God, God took care of them. But what happened when they forsook the one true God? What happened when they began to make unto themselves false gods? God punished them, did he not? And he often allowed other nations to come and rule over them. A nation can only be as great as God allows, as long as God is in the forefront of the nations. Notice what the prophet Daniel said in chapter 4 and in verse 35. He said, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? No one can tell God what to do. He is going to do what is best. He is going to do what is right. And if man thinks that he can do anything without God, he quickly learns he cannot. There were some that have tried to do that many times in the past. Recall in Genesis chapter 11, there were some that wanted to build a tower all the way up to the heavens. But of course they were not able to build it. Why? Because God did not allow that to happen. God knew that man was limited at their language so they not complete the project that they had set out. And thus it became known as the Tower of Babel. And you know, since that time, man has tried to go as far as he can go. Man has made it to the moon. Man has even made it to other planets. But how far will he go? The answer is, as far as God will allow. The one that has created all things. But you know how far we can go? is perhaps not only seen in a physical sense, but one in a spiritual sense. One that can come to God. One that can get closer to Him. When we go back to Acts chapter 17, and in verse 27, Paul said to them, so that they should seek the Lord, and the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him though he is not far from each one of us. We must seek the Lord. He makes it possible that, yes, we can find him. Sometimes we hear, I was looking for the right things, but in all the wrong places. Where do we go to look for God? Well, first of all, just look around you. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Sound a lot like the Greeks. They look at the things that are created rather than the Creator. But you see, the creation is evidence that there is a... Look at these things we ought to know. There must be a God. The one true God that has made all these things. And when I begin to look, and I begin to realize that there is someone so much greater, so much more powerful than I, Perhaps I might feel very, very small, very, very distant. How can I be close to such a great God? Well, it is possible. When you go back to the book of Deuteronomy and look in chapters 4, there in verse 7, as Moses would tell the people of Israel, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon Him. He said that, yes, God is near to us. You might think, first of all, He was very near to them physically. Remember how Moses climbed up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments? The presence of God can be seen and could even be felt. God was very close. But he also wanted them to know that he wants to be in their mind. He wants to be in their heart. He wants to abide with them that he would be their God and they would be his people. Jeremiah pleaded for those that he was writing to. He says, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, says the Lord? From chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. God is not very far at all. All we have to do is truly seek Him. That is what God desires. Isaiah wrote in chapter 55 and in verse 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. God shows himself through the things that he has made. He reveals himself through his word. All we have to do is seek him. Open our eyes. And do you think that God will make it possible for us to find him? Absolutely. Even Jesus said himself, 
in Matthew chapter 7 and in verse 7, Seek and ye shall find. If you truly seek for him, yes, you will truly find him. What else do we know about God? Well, let's look a little farther. Then in verse 28, In Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. God says, yes, there was a time I overlooked these things. I understand that you did not know everything there is to know about me. I know that you could have known a lot more. I know that you were seeking to know but in the wrong places, and I overlooked that. But what does he say now? He commands all men everywhere to repent. Why must we repent? Simply because we've all made mistakes. Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sin of which to repent. The Greeks certainly had their sin, especially not worshiping the one true God. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, when you come to know God, you find that God does not want men to perish. But God commands all men everywhere to repent. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God commands us, God wants us to repent. So how do we do so? Well, if I'm first of all not knowing the one true God, I need to come to know Him. If I'm worshiping anyone or anything else, I need to stop. I need to come to the one true God and worship Him and Him alone. I need to stop doing the things that I used to do and do something else. As Paul was writing to Titus, he instructed him in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. He says, The grace of God that brings salvation men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in the present age. How do we repent but deny ungodliness and worldly lust? The things that I've known, the things that I've desired, I deny all that. 
And instead, I decide to change my mind and to change my way of life. Instead, I'm going to live soberly, righteously, and godly, following the example of the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's what God wants us to know, and we can know more about him, and we better know more about him. Because there will be a time in which it'll be too late. A time in which there will be no more time. In verse 31 of Acts chapter 17, the Bible says, Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Today is the first day of the week, and we are here to remember Jesus Christ, to know that Jesus came from God. They lived a sinless life. They died, was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. As he was risen from the dead, he has power. After all, Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. From Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. As Jesus has all the power, he says one way here is that he will judge the world in righteousness. That is the message we need to teach, to preach, to be pattering our lives after him so that we can be ready when he does so. In Acts, the 10th chapter, we find the time in which Peter was sent to Cornelius. And you recall that in verse 42 of that chapter, Peter taught him that God indeed has ordained Christ, the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus has the power to do just that. And he tells us in John chapter 12 and in verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The word that Jesus says will judge us in the last day. But remember, Jesus does not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears from his Father is what he speaks. So God is judging us through his only begotten Son. And it is he and he alone that is the righteous judge. That's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 8. He says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He was ready for his appearing. But what about you and what about me? Do we know God? 
we should know all about him, what he has done, and then we can come to know him better through daily study of his word and by praying to him without ceasing. Do you know God? If you don't, you can, starting right here, right now, as together we stand and sing.